Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. We are straight from the heart of the Fillmore at That's What She Said at the Social Study on a Monday night in May. I'm with Tina J. Ling, who is a global CEO. We'll get into that in just a minute. And a fucking badass because I've been following her now on her Instagrams, doing a little homework. Oh, I call it homework. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Maybe some people call it creepy. I don't know what they say. Welcome to our first uh, masterclass that you're teaching, yes. by the way. Thank you. And um, my first question is to you, what is a global CEO? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. So Aaron, for me, I have traveled to over 30 countries now on four continents. For me, that means that my assignments or the clients that I have are all over the world and I get to work on some really exciting engagements. And a lot of those are also around some social change, really community areas. Um, it could be with some non-government organizations. Oftentimes it's for companies or startups that have multiple regions that they're working with. So that's what that means for me. Well, I'm not located specifically in the US. Uh, I haven't been for years now. So um, one of my key components is having that flexibility to be international. That's not a bad gig, <laughs> if you can figure out how to do that. Yeah. Um, I have a question here about why are women's, trans, people of color, women of color, finances import, important for you to talk about? It's important for me to talk about, especially for myself, being having been now an executive for 20 some odd years. I think for over 27 years, I've been in the industry, starting in nonprofit and then in medicine. And so having that lens of social justice and coming from it as a very community activist, I was a strong uh, queer activist back in the day in the my 20s starting off the gate, uh, fighting for just visibility in our communities. And that included a lot of LGBTQ uh, areas, but also I went to Mount Holyoke, which is a women's college. Uh, we do have trans folks there as well. Um, so it's very important for me to be able to empower other women and trans around how do you look at uh, professional growth, economic growth, just yourself as a person. Um, so I think all of those areas where as I've progressed in my career, seeing that unfortunately 20 some odd years later, let's say 30 years later now, we've moved the needle somewhat, but you see the clawback consistently happening. And whether that's around that LGBT rights, where you have the uh, ban on, on transgender in the military in effect now, uh, where you have it back on the Supreme Court, another thing around job discrimination. Um, and then you also have women's rights in terms of reproductive rights, Yeah. right? And so I think and all healthcare. of this, and healthcare. <laughs> yeah. and, and there are so many things that are also layered on top of that. When we're talking about criminal justice, when we're talking about societal reform, when we're talking about homelessness, especially here in the Bay Area, yeah. these all have to do with economic empowerment to some degree, or it has to do with the fact that the people with whom are holding the wealth are not sharing yep. and empowering the communities around the money. Yeah. And so for me, having being in a position of power and being in a position of, of privilege, it's really important for me to be able to share the information that I've learned. And also I mentor a lot. I've coached a mentor for now 30 some odd years. I've always been in the community. The themes consistently pop up. Well, how do I get there? How do I do this? How do I pivot? And so whether I was making 950 an hour to now making over 350,000, it's about uh, how, do we, how do we find 
freedom in ourselves, you know, more than just the exact dollar amount. And I think too, unfortunately, so much of what our self-worth is is tied into how much we're making and mm -hmm. earning. And that's the wrong perspective. It's a very Western, um, I think it's also a very patriarchal way of looking at a person's wealth. And I think it's toxic to both men and women, yeah. definitely. Uh, it also um, contributes to racism being reinforced in the way that it is, sexism and all the isms that we can discuss. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's really important to me. I feel like now um, it's not about grassroots anymore. There's a lot of our communities now who have gained some success and gained some strides. Unfortunately, it's not enough. Mm -hmm. um, and so how do we look at outside of money? How do you look at yourself as a person? How are you taking your care of you? How are you taking care of you mentally, physically, emotionally as a person? And then when we add the dimension of money on top of it, um, it's just that added extra component. But if you're not feeling good about yourself, you can use money to feel better. And that's where I think for our, a lot of our communities, you see so much spending, trying to become better by buying a car you can't afford, trying to... Keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. And I see this, especially being Asian American, yep. Chinese American yep. community. Same, same. Right? Half, half. Right? Yeah. And so, like, that's a huge thing. But also, what we see in our black and brown communities, yep. like every, you know, and our Latinx communities. So, it's not just limited to us. But I think it's the, the poverty of representation hmm. is what drives. And when you see it, then you think, oh, well, if I have these things, I can I can be seen. I will then be seen. People will pay attention to me in a positive way, whereas there's so much negative reinforcement. And we're buying representation. Uh, we're buying visibility, and I think that needs to change. Yeah, and it's consumerism. It's consumerism, which yeah. is kind of the death of us. <laughs> when did you realize um, this is what you wanted to talk about in finance? When was there like a mm. real special moment that you can touch on? I think. For me, I w being a nonprofit, and I started in youth development. So I used to be the assistant vice president of Youth Build USA, which we deal with a lot of under underrepresented youth, um, adolescents predominantly, young people between the ages of, of 15 to 24. And so when we're talking about education, as at that time the next level, right? You had we had communities with whom we're not graduating from high school. Uh, weren't then employable, uh, weren't seeking opportunities, didn't know how to seek opportunities, and therefore were resorting to gang violence or oftentimes being on the streets and then not being productive, not feeling good about themselves, mm -hmm. right? And so that in and of itself is a huge piece. And so for me, being able to give workshops, and that's where I started a lot, even though I, I spoke before that, but on that level of really being out there, empowering our young people around what it looks like to get an education, what it looks like to empower yourself around money, around getting jobs, around work, and seeing it as a positive component for your life and empowering yourself in that way. Yeah. So that's been a 20 some odd year journey. And as I said, unfortunately, or fortunately, our communities have made a lot of strides since then, but we still need to. And I see now more and more with even very successful women this is a conversation. I, I'm in circles where I'm around millionaire women, millionaire queer women, millionaire uh, folks of color, and it's still so much of I have to keep up with the Joneses, and that's that's why now it's it's a different conversation. Mm. You know, that's what's shifted for me, uh, and so that was why uh, when <laughs> uh, when I was asked when Morgan asked me last year, hey, I'd love for you to speak. 
we thought about maybe some career information, career pivots and all that, which is which I could certainly help with, but this kept sticking with me. Yeah. And so this became very relevant. Wow. We're going to have to have you on another show because we need to talk about a lot of things. Um, two last questions. Uh, what's one piece of financial advice uh, you give to women that are struggling? I think for, for women with whom are, are struggling right now, especially in our communities, um, and I would say even especially with uh, queer women as well, queer women and trans folks, I think there's so much in our society uh, when I talk about keeping up with the Joneses and so you feel as though somehow you have to do something and I think there's some safety sometimes related to that I, I really go back to life is a marathon you know it's not a sprint and I'm 48 years old now I'm, I'm extremely proud to be 48 I have another 40 some odd years life left of my life I started working at five years old um, I still haven't learned everything I still have a lot to learn. I still am very curious about stuff. I, there's still so much to do. And I think we live in a pace and a culture when we have social media, media in general, mm -hmm. where we feel like, well, oh my gosh, if I am not making XYZ amount now. And so what happens is we're not saving our money. Right. We're not then living with people where we feel ashamed of we're living with our parents or we're having roommates. And I think that's the, that's the piece about a very isolationist piece of our country. Mm -hmm. um, oh, everyone has to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Oh, what are you still living at home for? All of these types of things where you're not set up to, for success. Right. As it's women negative. especially, mm -hmm. right? Until you get married and if you're in a heteronormative relationship, when you get married to a man, then you, then you buy the house and you're supposed to have the kids. That whole, that needs, that whole thing needs to shift. It's I heard some teenage girls yes. saying this on the bus the other day about, oh, we just have to get married to a, a rich guy. Yeah. And I, I, my head was exploding on the inside, Tina. I need to let you talk more. No, no. I'm like I love it. up the mic. No, no. You are here to teach a master class. You should be talking. Okay, last question. I'll let you go. Yeah. Who are your financial heroes and or sheroes? Yeah, I have to say my mother. Um, you know, my, my dad was a very... Uh, smart, brilliant man who was a great entrepreneur. We, you know, he brought the whole family over from Hong Kong, and basically set every one of them up with success by opening up restaurant business. So when he immigrated, he was working in his uncle's shoe factory in Jamaica, so that he could send money home. So he'd go to high school during the day and factory at night. And so for him, it was how do I empower my community? How do I empower my siblings so that they can have some money too, right? Um, being that they did not back in the village in Hong Kong there. So his whole thing was, how do I make money? How do I grow money? But my mom's whole thing was, how do I save it? Mm -hmm. And with very little means, she was able to stretch that dollar. So, you know, even though she was getting clothes for us from Goodwill or um, when, you know, we would be talking about school books and all these types of things or things that we wanted. She would figure out ways to get it for us even though she didn't have a lot, right? And I think being able to do all of that from herself being a refugee, leaving, having to leave China and then go escape into Hong Kong and then coming here, a lot of that was just saving, saving, saving so that for the rainy day, and rainy days came. Mm -hmm. But I think her sensibility around that then even though we became middle class, eventually helped me set up to see the value of that. My father was very much, um, he was the oldest of 13. Wow. So for him, you know, his whole thing was like, when I make it, I'm gonna buy myself that Benz. Right. 
you know, where right. my mom was like, the let's not, let's and, not do yeah. that. Like, mm-hmm. let's, I'll scale back. I mean, she, she actually then had nice clothes for herself, but it was always about let's invest in our kids. Let's, let's invest in our future. So I think she probably out of anyone, I, I, I've probably been around some of the best and the brightest, but my mom, even though she only had a second grade education, worked in the fields as a child. Um, she's the smartest woman I know. Oh, that's so <laughs> inspiring. Well, Tina, I'm going to ask you back to come into the studio and hang out and chill and maybe have, I don't know if you drink or not, but yeah, have I a glass of wine and we'll bitch talk more <laughs> about be finances awesome. be because great. it's really important for women, women of color, yeah. LGBTQ people, queer people, um, yeah. to know how to work with and save money. Yes. I'm still having that challenge and yes. I'm in my 40s, yes. so that's why I'm here yes. and I can't wait to take your awesome. class. And thank you for being on Bitch Talk. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. That was Tina J. Ling, global CEO and financial badass, here at the first masterclass of That's What She Said. Just in case you forgot, we're at bitchtalkpodcast.com. We're also at our new home at bff.fm every Monday morning from 5.30 to 6 a.m. So find us there. And until next time, bitch please.